0: Do any of you turn into a different person when you're hungry? You're very quick to say yes, Kylie. My brother Brett sure did. My brother Brett is the kindest, most gentle, sweetest, most optimistic person you will ever meet. Oh, unless he's hungry. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Let me tell you, he turns into just this awful, mean-spirited, nasty guy if he's hungry. And so, almost like a dog, when you give him a treat, you give him a plate of food and he scarfs it down and he transforms before you. And he is happy again. And maybe some of us can relate to that. The meal transforms my brother into who God had made him to be. And the table of Jesus Christ transforms us into who God made us to be. Because an invitation to Jesus is an invitation to transformation. We're in the third week of our series called Table Talk, where we are looking at different encounters with Jesus over the table. So let's look at another invitation from Jesus this week. This is found in Luke 5. We're going to look at six verses and three parts. For the math whizzes out there, that means in two verse chunks. So let's start with Luke 5, starting at verse 27. Hear the true word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Jesus looked out and he saw a tax collector sitting at his booth. For anyone other than Jesus, looking at a tax collector sitting at his booth would not evoke pleasant feelings. In fact, it may bring up anger within a person and and madness because tax collectors were known crooks in that time. They were known to take taxes and often take a little extra off the top to pad their own pockets before giving to Rome what was due to Rome. Or they saw them as Rome's uh, uh, stooges doing their will when they didn't want to have to do that. So tax collectors were not looked favorably upon at all. Except Jesus looked out and he saw this tax collector sitting at his booth. And what does he say? Well,. He doesn't just see Levi for who he is. He sees Jesus for who he will—excuse me, he sees Levi for who he will be. Which should be encouraging for each and every one of us. Because when Jesus grips our heart and we respond in faith, he's not inviting us to follow him because of who we are, but because of who he is. He's not inviting us to follow us because of what we've done. It's because what he will do in and through us. So Jesus offers these two words to Levi, follow me. And Levi, he gets up, he follows him. We see the note, he left everything. Now it's a big deal for anybody to leave everything, but sometimes the sacrifice is worth Noting. Because if you have nothing, leaving everything is no big deal, right? But for the disciples, for instance, who were fishermen, when they left everything, it is a big deal. But at the same time, they could always return to their everything. You can always go back to fishing. You could always go back to sell fish if it didn't pan out following this Jesus guy. We actually see this briefly when Peter and his fisherman disciple friends go back to fishing after Jesus' death. But the same was not true for Levi. You could not easily get your tax collector job back. Okay, Rome would not be happy with you up and leaving your post. They would have given a booth to someone else in an instant. And good luck trying to get that job back. And oh, right, because you are in this position where most people really despised you, good luck having any connections to having any other kind of job easily. So for Levi to leave everything was truly to leave everything. It's a significant sacrifice in answering Jesus's invitation. But he did answer the invitation. And so how does he respond? He got up and he followed him. And this is what he does next from verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you love Levi's response to Jesus asking to follow him? He throws a party. Sometimes we, at least I know I have, and maybe you have too, when we read about the disciples following Jesus, we think it's almost like a, well, got nothing better to do, sure. Let's see what happens here. This does not tell us it was that kind of decision because he, it shows that Levi knew this is a big deal. How many great banquets have you thrown in your life? Probably not too many, right? And the ones you did were likely for the most important moments of your life. Levi knew there was something going on here. He met Jesus. He was invited to follow him. He was invited into an ongoing life of transformation. And we know he was transformed by Jesus's love. That's as big of a deal as it gets. So Levi invites Jesus. And what I love about this is the only friends a tax collector has are other tax collectors. Misery loves company. And so he invited that misery along with him. Come, celebrate with me. There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Others. The others. A word used to describe those not even worth describing. Yeah, there was Jesus. And there was Levi. Levi. There's a bunch of tax collectors, and then the others. Later, the Pharisees describe these others for us as sinners. Oh, those sinners. As if they're not sinful themselves, right? It is fair to reason the folks at this party were not the most reputable of party guests. But Levi encounters Jesus and wanted everyone he knew to meet him. And so Jesus comes and he eats with them. Imagine the blessing of this meal. You're dining with Jesus Christ. Levi's transformation, it was not isolated to him alone. You see, in this one meal, all of Levi's friends encountered Christ. They encountered Levi's changed life. There is no doubt they too were invited to transformation by Jesus and his love. If we belong to Christ and we invite others to the table, they too will encounter Christ for his love is present in you. Because God's transforming love Knows no boundaries. It hates isolation. It must be shared. It has to be shared. It is God's blessing, splashing outward, trying to reach everyone it can possibly reach. And it affected Levi. It affected his tax-collecting friends. It affected the other sinners present. And it even jolted the Pharisees. God's transforming love knows no boundaries. He transformed Levi. And maybe you're wondering, well, that's awesome. But who is this Levi? I don't think he invented genes. So what do you do? Why does he matter? But the thing is, you do know Levi. He's more commonly known as Matthew. The Matthew, the disciple of Jesus. Matthew whose skills he learned and the disgusting trade of tax collecting that God used as he wrote the gospel of Matthew through him. Jesus gave Levi one simple invitation, and it changed his life. And his transformed life has transformed ours as we read the words that God wrote through him all those years ago. Encountering the love of Jesus brings transformation. But sometimes, sometimes the love of Jesus does not compute with others. Enter the Pharisees. Perhaps you have experienced this before. Journey students, I, I think especially of you or Hope kids who have gone to, to something like a summer camp, or you go on a mission trip, or you go to a winter retreat at Spring Hill, sign up. You can still sign up to join Journey. Today is your deadline. Sign up, and if you're thinking of not going, forget that. Go sign up. And you go to these amazing events, and you are just on fire for god he grabs a hold of you in a new way and you see him in a different way and you recommit to him and you're taking major steps of faith and you're on fire you're passionate you're transformed but your friends back home they just don't really get it and maybe your habits are changing and you're hanging out with your youth group friends more, but you're trying to hang out with your other friends, and they still, they just don't understand. They see that something's different, but they might even start to treat you different. The encouragement is Jesus dealt with the same thing. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the very ones who should understand Jesus. They should understand the depth, the breadth, the sacrifice of his love. But the Pharisees are the ones who ask the question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But notice in the text it says they don't ask Jesus directly. They ask the disciples. (laughs) They're trying to gossip about Jesus behind his back. But Jesus being Jesus, he hears and Jesus answers. He's not particularly fond of gossip, in case you're wondering. So Jesus answers them directly, Oh, it's not the healthy. It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has no time for these accusations of the Pharisees. Asking why Jesus eats with sinners is asking a fish why it swims in the water, right? He was surrounded by them. If Jesus, he, he, he made it a point. He made it a point to eat and drink with those that the religious leaders would never consider proper dinner company. Because that's who he came to serve, to bring the lost into a place of belonging. And this is the beautiful thing. It's not a one time deal. This was a regular practice embodiment of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew eleven nineteen. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh. That's some resonance to it. Matthew eleven nineteen says Son of Man came eating and drinking. And so they would say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did this so regularly that it became his reputation. Now just to clarify, he was not an actual glutton or drunkard. He just hung out with those frequently enough, eating and, and drinking with those, that this was his built-up reputation. Where the pious of that day would remove themselves from those in the lowliest places— Jesus would enter willingly and joyfully. Think about this for a minute. Can you ever imagine getting an invite from a king to come for dinner? First, I don't even know any current reigning kings. I know there's countries out there with a king right now, probably. I don't even know who a king would be. So bring it down even to a lower level. Imagine the mayor the mayor of Kalamazoo, inviting you over for dinner. That just seems strange. That doesn't happen to most of us. And if we were invited over to their house, we're likely suspicious they're asking us for some money. (laughs) But Jesus Christ is the king of kings, the king of the universe. His table invitation goes out to each and every One of us. His table is open to all. That is beautiful. We have an open invitation to his table. Come, all who are broken, all who are weary, all who are thirsty, come. We see it on display when Jesus invites him over to Zacchaeus' house, another tax collector. He was so transformed. He gives away half his belongings and then some. We see it when he actually goes and he eats at the Pharisee's house. Yes, even the Pharisee's house he will sit and eat with. And a woman interrupts the table by anointing his head, or excuse me, his feet with tears and ointment. The most beautiful display. And Jesus invites all of us to come to him and receive only What he can give. And what he gives is a gift of love. Because he is love. He is love. And everything he does, everything he says, everything he thinks is an act of love. For there is no true love outside of the one who defines and embodies and is love. Love And Jesus gives us a commandment, the greatest commandment, that sums up the Ten Commandments when he teaches us to love the Lord our God with everything we got and to also love our neighbor in the same way. To love your neighbor as yourself. And I wonder, what if Jesus was actually serious about that? He actually wants us to love our neighbor in that way. Did he actually mean our neighbor? Because a lot of times when we hear that, we kind of expand it to say, well, we need to love everybody in this way. And it's true, we do. But when we expand it so broadly, sometimes we we miss the intentionality of what it actually takes. What if he meant our actual neighbors? Because sometimes it's helpful to consider actual faces and names. And peoples, and homes. Jesus later goes even deeper in his command for us to love. I have a thing on the slide here. You've heard of different rules. There's a thing called the Bronze Rule: Do to others as they have done to you. Meaning, if uh, Pastor Curry uh, comes and he slugs me, I'm going to slug him back. That will never happen. And I think I'd be on the ground if you slugged me anyway. There's no fist fights in our office, but that was a bronze rule. Some people live by that. I'm going to give back what I get, and that's it. Silver rule, a little bit better. Do no evil unto others. This was taught in Leviticus, which is a good idea. If someone does something bad to you, well, I'm not going to respond in kind. I will just do no evil. That doesn't mean I have to go out of my way to bless them, but I'm, I'm not going to pay evil with evil. Okay, we're making progress. And then there's the golden rule. This society loves the golden rule. It's printed and it's like cross-stitched on people's walls and things, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus ups the ante even more. And what I believe he does here is he's clarifying truly what that means to love your neighbor. As he says in John 15, call it the platinum rule. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. That just kind of stops you in your tracks a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, most of us settle for just a thimble, thimble full of the love of God when there is an endless ocean available to us. And he calls us to love in that same awe-inspiring way that he loves us. Oh, how have we let ourselves get so distracted from what is truly all-important in this command to love? This ought not be a challenging little add-on to our lives, but the heart of our lives, the heart of who we are, because love is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of who God is. It is the driving force of who we are and who he calls us to be. And Jesus, he spoke this command to his disciples at the table at the table of the Lord's Supper. He did it after he washed his disciples' feet and after he invited them to remember him as often as you break the bread. He spoke this command at his last meal before he went to the cross. And Levi, Matthew, was sitting at that table, having already experienced in every way, the sacrificial love of Jesus from that first great banquet to the last. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus has loved you immensely. How can we embody and embrace? And give and share and show and spread that same love. How can we do that to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our classmates? I am increasingly convinced one of the most profound ways we can love others as God has loved us is to open up our tables to have an open invite, to have a place for the other at our table. Jesus was known. He had a reputation for eating and drinking with the least of these. So what does it look like for us to expand our hearts and expand our dinner invitations outside of our normal go-tos? What does it look like for us to invite to the table those that are far from God? Because Jesus drew others toward him at his feast of love. I'm increasingly convinced the table is possibly our greatest tool of evangelism. Because people are loved toward Christ. They're not judged on the street corner with a bullhorn towards Christ. Some, because God can work in incredible ways. People are loved toward Christ. And you can't have love without relationship. And, and the best way in my lived experience so far to build relationship is to share a meal. So before we even invite people to church, which you absolutely should invite people to church, what would it even look like if we started the first step by inviting them over to dinner? Because it all begins with relationship. Because the trust will build. Common understanding will build. The joy will build. And if we actually imagine our neighbors, so few of us have an actual relationship with our neighbors. You know, if we're called to be salt of the earth and light on a hill, I believe that's a good place to begin. Our neighbors, our coworkers, people we see every day and know so little about. Because at the table, we can connect over our shared brokenness, our shared need of sustenance, our shared blessing. We invite Jesus to join us in that space and let him go to work in the growing relationships. At the table, walls and defenses come down as we break bread and we pour drink. At the table, the love of Christ is shared and made real. What would happen if, If each one of us here today embraced a missional posture of table fellowship. To love others just as Jesus has loved us. Jesus, whose table is always open for one more. Do we have a spot for one more at our table? I knew a family once. He was a pastor up in the Grand Rapids area who embraced this missional posture of a table beautifully. Him and his family intentionally opened up one meal a week to invite someone else in. Sometimes they plan it out months in advance. Sometimes it's week of invite someone to join them for a meal. They did this about five years at least. May still do it since I haven't been in contact with them as much. And there's occasional weeks where it just didn't work out, but they always prayed asking for who would that person be. And more often or not, there was someone else around that table. And what did I experience as an outsider looking in? I saw this person build up an extended family in the most beautiful way that was built around the table. I saw people from the community, from their neighborhood, which was a pretty uh, diverse in every way neighborhood, finding commonality around the table. I saw these folks coming to the church that he was a pastor at and sitting there. And they didn't even believe yet, but they belonged because of the shared relationship and trust with the family. And so they felt compelled to come and hear and receive the good news. I saw as people were baptized and blessed into the community, all because they were invited to a meal. And as time and Technology has gone on over the years. We know isolation has rapidly increased to the point where even asking someone over for dinner seems like a big ask. In Jesus' day, there was no better form of entertainment than sitting around with others because it was the only source of entertainment. What a gift! And now, how many barriers do we have to overcome? Consider this. Most of us eat three meals a day. Over the span of a year, that is 1,095 meals. That boils down to about 91 meals a month. What would it look like if we opened up our table for two meals a month? You say, oh, Pastor Kevin, that's a big ask. Two meals a month. Whew. But think about it. That's only 2.2% of your meals, friends, in a given year. Is it a big ask? In one way, yes. In every other way, no, no, no. 2.2% of our meals. And yet that would be twenty four intentional invites over the course of a year. There's about a hundred people here. So imagine the expanse of what would happen as love poured out from this place. As those invites went out, those people came and sat at our table and experienced the blessing of Jesus Christ through you and your family. That is our encouragement today. To embrace this idea That our homes are just our own safe, sacred place. And to open our doors up just as Jesus opens himself up to invite others in and experience the love and the blessing that dwells there. That is our challenge. Last week's challenge was kind of a spur-of-the-moment invitation. Invite someone over because think about your family. The closer you are to someone, the less preparation, the less cleaning, the less anything you have to do to have a meal together. So it was the idea that within this church family, just invite someone over casually and have them over. The other side of it is be intentional and plan this out. And that's this challenge. Will you invite someone over two times in this coming month to share a meal at your home? Oh, Pastor Kevin, it's the holidays. Things are crazy. I know. Whoo. They're crazy. For you, they're also crazy for them. So imagine the blessing to be able to come and receive and feast. That should be a sacrifice us Christians are willing to make. So look at your calendar. Decide on two dates in December and because best things are planned ahead. Look at January and pick out two dates, and then you start to pray, and you ask God to reveal who should it be. It might be a neighbor, it might be a coworker, it may be someone from this, this community right here. I don't know. God will place it on your heart. Ask. They say no, all good. Keep them in the back pocket for another time. We are intentional about offering this feast of love to all in our circles. Because Jesus is the very definition of love. And from his table, he commands us to live into the platinum rule, to love others as he has loved us. So let's together invite others, invite the others, to encounter Jesus and his love. May it be so for all of us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, how amazing it is you work, and how awe-inspiring you are because you are all-loving. We mean all-loving. You are perfect love, and everything you did was an act of love. Everything you continue to do is an act of love. And yet, God, we know that you feel everything even more deeply than we can. You know hurts, you know wounds, you know pain, you know suffering, and yet you love still. God, may you work in our lives through the power of your Spirit to open ourselves up, to remove whatever barriers stand in the way from opening up our hearts and our table, our lives, to those you have placed around us. God, I ask even now through your Spirit, you reveal within us those that you would love to have come feast at the table, who you have been preparing in advance for that invitation. And God, give us the courage as your people to reach out, to step away from our comfort, step away from our isolation, and expand our table. Because we know at your table there is always room for one more. And we desperately want to love as you love us. Fill us with that same passion, God. We invite you into every area of your li- our lives. We invite you into our families, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our day-to-day interactions. We long to live a life that testifies of your goodness alone as we proclaim through our words and our actions your name, Jesus Christ. Because your name carries all authority, all power in this world, in heaven and on earth. At your name, the devil flees. At your name, the graves shake. At your name, our chains are broken. So we speak your name here, now, today, and every day moving forward. Not our will, but yours be done, God. In our lives and in this place and in our homes and around our tables. And it's in that very name we pray. Amen.